The Cult of the Black Cube, episode number one. I am extremely excited for this, and I'm going to be honest with you folks. If this was maybe three or four months back, I probably wouldn't have been nearly as excited as I am now because this whole, again, Black Cube, not necessarily the Saturn Moon Matrix, Matrix concept, excuse me, but this whole connotation with respects to there being focus and energy towards the Black Cube was something that, honestly, I didn't really put much attention or focus on until I realized how prominent it was it was thanks to people uh, for example like Mission Control thanks to people like uh, like Steve thanks to people like Michael thanks to people like Ani you name it there clearly is something occurring here that I'm going to be honest with you I think I should have covered this starting months ago it, it totally just went over my head but again a little uh, better late than never as they say so for those that have just joined the Patreon welcome this is a Patreon members only series this will never go public just for the record just to let all of you folks know and we're going to be um, intertwining, if you want to say, a lot of the different concepts that we've taken and learned and explored within Let's Get Banned, within recent Archon episodes, in addition to delving into, of course, what we see here, the Saturnine devotion and establishing a shrine. So let's jump into it. So let me just make sure I am recording here. Okay, perfect. So Saturnine devotion, establishing a shrine is page 125 of page 177 of this book. But for the sake of showing you folks, since this is episode one, let's go back to uh, page number one now i do want to mention as well quick little side note elon musk tweeted this symbol out he tweeted just this symbol that was it and then sort of left it at that i'm not sure if the tweet is still up or if he deleted the tweet or what have you but again make of that as you will it is not for me to say however as we scroll down we'll see here of course the call to the black cube right by Arthur Moros and published in 2017 and in my humble perspective this is probably the closest you can get to a sort of bibliotheca plates indexing version of the black cube concepts without delving into too many divergent rabbit holes if you want to call it that so we see here by the way I'm only going to go through this at the beginning of this uh, episode number one simply because it's the intro to the series but we see here of course section one a scholarly materials on Saturn so Saturn in Indian tradition classical tradition Islamic texts you name it, uh, you know, the Saturnine path, the Saturn deity, the interpretations, the, you know, the demiurge, all of that. And this is what we're going to be focusing on right from the get-go in the series, folks. And I'll tell you why. I think our good friend of the show, Micah, does a very good job of decoding things like the Bible, the Quran, your uh, and you name it. So what I'm going to do, he doesn't know this yet, but I'm going to ask him to decode the, or if he has the time, to decode the interpretations of the first two chapters, because I think we really need to get into the nitty-gritty of it all we need to get into the saturnine rituals the chronos the black cube the rite of chains things like that now if you folks do want me to start from the very beginning chapter one i have no problem doing that but i do think because of how advanced a lot of us are on the patreon here we should probably just delve right into this section here so let's let's uh Let's definitely do that. So let's uh, jump right into it. So let's take a look here. Let's go back to page number 125. And we're going to be making a lot of different connections with many different notes that I have written down and things like this. So let's, uh, let's start reading this. The first step necessary uh, to cultivate the devotion to Saturn is a sacred space in which one can properly revere the deity. And when they say deity, they are re referring to Saturn. Now, before I go on, I want to mention as well that it, it has been proclaimed, alleged, you name it, within different texts, not just historical, but even very recent ones, that Saturn, yes, the planet Saturn or the deity Saturn, does in fact or can in fact manifest within different dimensions or realms relative to our perception of the information structure all around 
around us. So you see right off the bat, we're incorporating physics, and I'm not even trying to force it. It just seems to be falling into place. And then, of course, if we implement the alleged, you know, Archon, Orion, Draco uh, motherships being that of Saturn's rings or composing a good percentage of Saturn's rings, it goes even further than that. But bef please, uh, let's... Uh, I'm not going to interrupt as much. Sorry. So let's see here. This does not need to be a large space, but it should be a dedicated area of your home, which will not be used for other purposes. In this area, you should assemble a shrine or altar space. As Saturn is a god of secrets and mysteries, the shrine does not need to be obvious to others. It is very appropriate for it to be hidden in plain sight, or for it to be an area that is closed off to other people. It is best if it can be placed away from high traffic areas, or where it may be dis or might be disturbed by children or pets. Okay, you know how much there is to break down just from this first little paragraph alone and I'm not going to, you know, delve into uh, the rabbit hole of every little thing because I don't want to annoy you folks, but I'm going to point things out when I feel it's absolutely necessary. So let's take a look here. It is very appropriate, okay, for this shrine of Saturn. Now, what they're discussing here is establishing a personal shrine of when you want to pray to Saturn or do a ritual or something of the sort, right? But see how it says here, it is very appropriate, and I quote, for it to be hidden in plain sight or for it to be in an area that is closed off to other people. Does that not describe literally every element of society relative to secret societies, government operations, you name it? Some of it's hidden in plain sight, and some of it truly is hidden, again, uh, you know, underground, you name it, to the point where the average person can't even get to it. So do you see the parallels already, guys? We're only one paragraph in. Anyways, let's take a look. There is considerable flexibility in how you construct the shrine, and it need not be especially ornate. In fact, tradition states that Saturn prefers rough and dark objects, so a dark wooden table or cement block would in fact be preferable to a golden altar. Shrines can be elaborate, but do not need to be. Saturn is a deity of the low as well as the high. A basic shrine should contain the following items. Now, before we go on, I want to point out right here, Saturn is a deity of the low as well as the high. I'm not trying to insult the author who wrote this my only question would be who's to say and the only reason i bring that up this could be from my own bias so please forgive me is that we see here the concept of the color black being associated with this particular praise relative to ancient human ancestry throughout the scriptures and the literature that's been preserved over time maybe it's my own confirmation bias or upbringing that dark colors are associated with negativity Please forgive me if it is, but even if, say, Saturn is a positive deity, if you will, when we take a step back and understand the principalistic foundations of the universe, arguably from Walter Russell, Sir Roger Penrose, you name it, about, you know, the, the emerald tablets of Thoth or Thoth, as above, so below, the yin and the yang, sort of like a battery, positive plus charge. How could Saturn both be a deity of the low and of the high? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm missing something. But this goes back to a conversation in a previous group Zoom call that I, I think Brandy had sparked. And I thank you so much for that because what we notice is that what will, Brandy was basically making a point of if Saturn represents an entity or a deity, whether good or bad, that's not the point. By definition, where is the other one? Is this, this alleged demiurge, which we'll be delving into in later episodes, and I promise to cover because it's very important, but this demiurge, is this the demiurge of that of a original source or of a broken off source relative to that of a duopolistic energetic system or apparatus? 
Does that make sense, guys? If it doesn't, please tell me. I I'm really not trying to use word salads here, but again, just the way that I sometimes explain stuff. Um, so, Saturnine Idol. According to tradition, the most common idol of Saturn is a black stone, cube, or obelisk, symbolic of the prison world ruled by the Dark God. As there are many aspects and attributes to S of Saturn, the Acolyte should feel free to choose whichever cultural mask of the God he best identifies with. The Roman Saturn is as valid as Baron Samedi, for example, as both exemplify very real aspects of the deity. It is important to remember here that the true deity is the one behind the many various names. Okay, so now again, it goes on to say, you know, you need oil, incense, um, you know, altar clothes, candles, the Saturn deity accepts all of this offering bowl, secondary idols, cutting tools, chains, iron jewelry, and noticeably a black mirror, a dark mirror, a bowl of black fluid, or an obsidian sphere are each good examples of the black mirror principle. The deity may use this to reveal mysteries and it can be employed as an effective communion tool. I'm, again, I'm just speculating just like you are, folks, so I'm not saying this is factual, but I wonder, is this Saturn deity that of the extremely advanced AI? Again, I'm not trying to push the David Icke Saturn Moon Matrix angle, but again, it seems as though that it keeps leading back to that, whether I want to or not, but ultimately, let's just say, let's put the moon out of it for a second, okay? Even though yesterday's live stream with Ani Osaro and Dan Winter, which is great, by the way, sort of in, in a way, I don't want to say confirmed, but further substantiated that the moon is in fact hollow metal, which would, there, which would therefore corroborate that of its ancient history and act as more of a data collector or harvester or energy, um, uh, I guess you could say loose energy uh, pool, cesspool, if you will, okay? But interestingly enough, all right, I wonder... If Saturn is in fact an extremely complex AI or the source of the AI that is projecting the mind control suppression grids that are allegedly occurring here on this planet on Earth. But anyways, let's carry on. By the way, iron jewelry, ring bracelets and other jewelry of iron. This is interesting because when you take a look at ancient uh, historical texts of, you know, the royals wearing iron jewelry over their faces and things like that. I'm going to be honest, folks. I just recently watched the film Dune, the new one. Um... It, it, it reeks of black Saturn uh, dissemination in my humble perspective. Um, not to say that's bad. I'm just saying that on a very subliminal level, the, the, the way in which the music is played, the frequencies it gives off, the vibe in which you feel while watching the film, it's very uh, anti-gravity, uh, Saturn, black, dark sort of-esque feel to it, if you will. But anyways, let's go on. With the shrine established in the home of the workplace, it is good to offer respects daily to the idol of the deity. In a sense, once the shrine has been set up and the image of the deity installed, it should be treated as a living thing. Now again, I would dare to say this has to do with Dan Winter's intention. Of course, just like with anything, you gotta, you gotta praise it every day, as they say. You know, forget about your internal sovereignty, but focus on this here. Take the intention you were supposed to use within yourself to increase your aura and your toroid field, if you will, but instead put it onto this, which is what leads me, or leans me towards the Saturn deity being that of the negative angle instead of that of the positive. But again, I'm, I should not be one to judge or jump to conclusions because who am I to say, right? With that being said, there's something I wanted to uh, point out as well too with respects to the duopolistic emergence of all of this. So the parasite that, you know, all, that we've all talked about, Nat, Maria, Brandy, um, uh, Michael Nelson, all of that. The parasite attacks the duopolistic emergence that creates a trauma in one's bloodline and continuing to praise this saturn deity seems to continue to fuel one side 
of that negativity. Why the negative, the negative side? Because humans by nature tend to be positive if they haven't been traumatized from birth. But if they've been traumatized, regardless of the age, but more so when they were younger, what, what you then happen, uh, what you then have, excuse me, is what uh, Dan Winter says, and I quote, is the discontinuity of memory, which is the breakage in one's array, which is, which arguably is the collapse, end quote. And when we say the collapse, we talk about mental breakdowns. We talk about, again, you know, uh, having major issues, if you will, with respects to your, your aura, your chakras not being lined up. Now, we also have to remember, too, that this doesn't always have to do with ancient ancestral breakage in the lineage of the bloodline. This is in some cases. Other people, it's all just within yourself. But anyways, let's carry on. Never under any circumstances allow the shrine to be used for any other purpose and do not allow it to become neglected. You must speak to it in a polite or respectful tone. Some may bow, kneel, or cover the heart with the hands. It is also recommended to keep the shrine clean and clear of all dust and debris. Be assured that over time, the energy of the dark god will slowly build within the shrine. Saturn's power is slow and cold, and so a new acolyte should not expect the shrine to become suddenly filled with the Saturnine residence. It is more likely to take place over weeks and months of spiritual feeding. Nevertheless, once that power begins to take root within the shrine, it is very hard to dislodge, and it becomes very pervasive. The aura of Saturnine shrines, not surprisingly, tends to be somewhat grave, reserved, and even cold. They can and will, however, manifest a certain level of chaos and even gallows humor, especially if Baron Samadhi is the chief Saturnine aspect prop, uh, propitiated. So, again, I can't help but think that when you look at the NASA frequencies that they published and all of that with respects to frequencies come emitting from Saturn, I get very negative, you know, depraved, dense vibes from it, okay, when I listen to that tape. But, that's just me. All right, I want to be as totally neutral as possible. It's possible my anthropocentric bias and upbringing is what's leading me to think all of a sudden, oh, because something is cold or whatever, it's bad. However, that's also what's generally allegedly been the case from my own research as well, whether we're delving into the ET side of things or that of the, of the spiritual side of things as... Again, just take this with a grain of salt, but as Dan Winter said on our live stream yesterday with Ani and Riel, thank you so much for that, guys. Dan Winter said it's generally known that if, if, if a craft, if an ET craft is nuts and bolts or looks metal-like, don't approach it. But if it looks more blissful, looks more colorful, energetically peaceful, you can talk to it. Or if it's not nearly as nuts and bolts or metal looking, then it's more likely to be a friendly inhabitant with inside of it. Again, just Mr. Winter's opinion. Uh, take that as you will. So let's see here. What I wanted to get to was this right here, establishing the magical link. But let's take a look at the daily offerings to the shrine. In addition to greeting the shrine daily, it is good to make small offerings to the shrine in order to show respect to the god. Again, for me, it's all about perception. So I'm not trying to say this is bad. But what I gather is why not focus on your own inner sovereignty? So again, I Listen, I'm not trying to constantly uh, jump in, but let's carry on. There's considerable flexibility in what should be offered, but tradition indicates that a small amount of olive oil, sugar, or sesame seeds can be used. These can be deposited in the bowl and after a day can be offered to someone in need if feasible or else given directly to the earth. It is not recommended to eat from Saturn's table directly, but his offerings can be given to others as a gift. The oil and sugar, for example, can be baked into a cake and gifted to someone who has suffered ill fortune under no circumstances should offerings be thrown out with garbage 
In the case that oil is offered, a dab of the oil can be placed on the idol. This is one of the most common traditional practices of Saturnine devotion. So notice something here. See when it says if your friend is not feeling well or having bad luck, you give you give them this um <clears throat> this gift, if you will, baked into a cake and all of that. Notice how it doesn't have to do with helping your friend get better. Notice how, at least in my opinion, what I'm gathering from this in real time as I record this uh, to present to you folks, what I gather is that it's simply just trying to spread its energy and its its harvesting capabilities. It doesn't say here, and again, this could be my anthropocentric upbringing and my 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 um unintentional bias. So maybe I'm wrong, but it doesn't say here. Oh, if your friend's not feeling good, do this. You know, praise the deity, then hand this over so your friend feels better. No, what it says here is again, the oil and sugar can be baked into a cake and gifted to someone who suffered from ill fortune. But you see, it focuses more on the gifting rather than trying to help the person you're gifting it to get better. You see what I'm saying? And what I think is happening here is this just simply has to do with the constant energetic spread of the Saturn deity, which in my view at this moment, based on how it's being described, may not necessarily be a good thing. But again, it, this could be my bias. So please forgive me. Now, before we go on, all right. Before we go to establishing the magical link, I want to look at a couple different things here on Google Chrome to make some connections. So here's what we'll find here, right? The Aura Sapientia. And a lot of this ties in directly with Dan Winter's work, uh, Walter Russell's work, you name it. But one thing that I wanted to point out so significantly here in my humble perspective, folks, is look at some of the geometry. Okay, right? With it, with respects to all of this. This geometry has been in some ways inverted, perverted, you name it, to be descriptive and related to that of some type of negative entity on Earth. But notice how it's simply mathematics. I even currently still have trouble trying to shake that sort of, um, you know, a devil, you know, a mason, satanic view out of my mind when looking at some of these geographic, uh, sorry, geometric um, uh, shapes. And I'm just admitting to you folks my own personal bias, right? Now, sorry, let me just um, zoom out here. Because if you folks can see this right over here, this pentagram here, this is exactly one of the things that I look at and, and, and initially used to go, oh no, that equals bad. But I've needed to reassess my perception on things. Just because these geometries are constantly being used doesn't mean it's for bad nor good. It's how it is being harnessed. Right. And I know a lot of people that say, Dave, that's a very simple concept. Yes. But when you realize how deep the propaganda has gone with respects to whether it's the Dracos or human elites lying to us for so many uh, generations, it's hard to undo it. But once you do, again, I applaud any of those that have been able to do it more quickly than myself because it's, it's been tough. But anyways, look at this right here. The center of the wheel opposed to becoming is the unbecome, the absolute and end goal and refuge, referring to this center of the wheel right here. Of those who have transcended, they are the unmoved mover, the axle of the universe, or that, tat tfam asi. There are two wheels of becoming, one of material beings and one of immaterial beings. Joining them both is the unmoved axle of the absolute, beyond time and space, beyond suffering and becoming. Seek that by apophysitism. The being that stands upon the center of the wheel has conquered death and transmigration this is when it's interesting because when you take a look at the ultimate concept of the being is this actually a, a light a form of consciousness something that is so uh, uh, i guess you could say awe-dropping or exotic to us that we simply cannot comprehend it reminds me again of going back right here folks again to the this the uh, cult of the black cube i think 
just my perspective. The cult of the black cube is only representing one perspective of that wheel. Because if we go back, we see here, again, there are two wheels of becoming, one of material and one of immaterial. It's possible that praising the Saturn deity merges that immaterial into the material. Does that make sense, guys? And how can we how can we prove or not prove that, but substantiate it? We can substantiate it because, excuse me, if we go back here to, oh well, if you're not feeling good, just hand this nice little cake with oil and sugar to a friend, not so they could feel better, but so the the the, the energy of the deity has now moved into or onto somebody new. Does that make sense, guys? Because then look, it represents that of the wheel, the cycle. Right. So again. Take that as you will. I just wanted to bring that up very quickly because I think it's very important as well. We'll see over here definitions of nature and its phenomenon with a primer on cosmology and ontology. Copyright Ken Wheeler. So we'll see here. I'm not going to waste anyone's time uh, for too long. We're going to go right back to the book shortly. But the ether is pure potential, non-Cartesian uh, non counterspatial inertia, the essence of all field modalities. The attribute of the ether is... The Oristos dyad, so-called indefinite dyad or attribute of the absolute. Again, notice the confusion of naming here. I'm not saying they're doing this on purpose. It's just, again, we can call it the absolute, the divine source, you name it. But are they not referring to the center of the wheel? I mean, it seems to be, right? So take a look here. Only two foundations of cosmic foundations have ever been postulated. Or postulated meaning like insisted onto the masses. One being the ether, the other an impossibility for which observed phenomenon say is false. That being atomism. Alright? And according to Nikola Tesla, light is a longitudinal disturbance in the ether. Light is a sound wave in the ether, according to Tesla. If we're only on one sound wave, how many other waves are there that are all, are all around us we cannot interact with? Whether material or immaterial beings. Now... Let's also continue this because this is interesting. What we'll see here is that according to J.C. Maxwell, the same person we did with the Gwen Towers, we did a members episode on and a live stream on depicting again how his work was edited or interpreted by Oliver Heaviside, um, one other gentleman, I forgot, one other mathematician and Heinrich Hertz. So take a look, quote, this medium of propagation, the ether must exist. This medium must be a prominent thought in our investigations, end quote in his writings, Treaties on Electricity and Magnetism. Now, here's what's interesting as well, to take it one step further. Atomism, or believing in atoms, is a pseudo-religious belief system of materialism or particle hierarchy born from Democritus and some others since ancient times. It's basically a limited belief system because it only has one piece of the puzzle, right? Does this not go back to the trickedbythelight.com uh, article about the astral projector? who said that, again, atoms don't technically exist. They're just that to describe an information structure that we perceive in order for us to think we are where we are, when really, part of my English, we're being fucked with, probably roughly 60% of the time, with physical objects not being physical, and them being extremely dense astral vibrational strings from that of the Orion Dracos. And where are the Orion Dracos' alleged headquarters? The rings of Saturn. You guys see what I'm getting at here? We got to factor in all these parts and we're going to come back to this shortly, but let's carry on. Let me just see where we're, um, where we're at in the recording. Great. So as we said before, now we're establishing the magical link. As we said before, to forge an intimate link with the Saturnine deity, no external initiation or esoteric transmission is necessary. Although depending on the goals of the devotee, this may be required later. See my comments on the role of the teacher in a previous chapter, by the way. 
you guys want to talk about this right over here i i looked this up um before recording we see here to forge an intimate link with the saturnine deity no external initiation or esoteric transmission is necessary although it says here depending on the goals it might be right depending how large and advanced and complex your goals are relative to chaos magic and quantum physics well do you want to know something that was done allegedly to establish this this right over here let's take a look folks watch this This was allegedly one of them. That CERN ritual that, that the scientist said was a joke. Why the hell would scientists, quote-unquote, for fun, be conducting rituals at a CERN laboratory overnight when these are, like, everyday people that, you know, would be with their families or something of the sort? See, CERN scientists under investigation after fake human sacrifice? Oh, really? Or could it have been one of the things that, again, the Saturn, the, it says in the, in the, um, in the book here, when you want to praise the shrine, you either hide the shrine where nobody can find it or you put it in plain sight. Hide it or put it in plain sight and break it off as a joke. Dismiss it as a joke. Interesting, isn't it? So, anyways, let's carry on. Uh, let's see. In agreement with the majority of historical Saturnine texts, this grimoire simply requires adequate preparation for ceremony and the dedicated cultivation of devotion to Saturn in order to gain his blessings and gnosis. His referring to Saturn. The deity alone selects to whom he will reveal himself. Initiation requires primarily the resolve, at some level, to take up the Saturnine cause, and then to begin the devotional practices, first by the construction of a sacred space or the shrine. If Saturn accepts the spiritual devotion and respect being shown, the acolyte will begin to feel the transmission of Gnosis. It is uncommon to experience dreams or visions of Saturn. It is not uncommon, excuse me, or to dream of symbols, vivid colors, objects like the black cube, or animals associated with Saturn, or even to dream about places and characters associated with the Saturnine current. The oncoming of, and which would, by the way, I take this as see here, or even to dream about, about places and characters associated with the Saturnine current. You know those frequencies emitting from Saturn that NASA's put out? in some cases to the public what if some of those frequencies are being sandwiched in into other frequencies that we will actually look at shortly in an article in this episode that then is emitted to earth as again evening out that balance of good and bad because as we've seen in prior uh, episodes even the negative entities here whether physical or biological or or not material or not realize there needs to be a balance too much going one way or the others is, is just going to throw even their plans off and their intentions for our species whether good or bad the oncoming of saturnine gnosis can be unpleasant tradition states that saturn often gives off the bad before the good as in now okay sorry to keep stopping here but see here tradition states that saturn often gives the bad um before the good to me i take this as a personal inter interpretation as respects to trying to deceive those that saturn is both the above and the below now, maybe I'm totally wrong here, but it, this seems like a way in which you would try to trick an inferior species if you were to try to make them praise one entity and say, no, 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 don't worry, this entity is both good and bad. When really, when, uh, maybe it is, maybe I'm wrong, guys, but when has it ever really been the case with respects to any type of duopolistic system? It's always been separate isolated things that then merge it's never been one thing whether that's religious praise financial praise esoteric praise i don't know that's just my personal take but 
Take a look at this. As an example, a potential acolyte with a normally positive state of mind could become cynical and depressed in a relatively short period of time. If the initiate somehow retains a level of clinical objectivity during the early days of Saturnine practice, this is a very good thing. One effective technique is the keeping of a journal to keep track of one's experience, insights, and emotional states following the first initiatic steps on the Saturnine path. Now, this is when it gets confusing because they say, listen, oh my gosh, you, you, you need to stay biased and un, uh, sorry, unbiased and neutral to the best of your personal abilities relative to what you're going through throughout your quote-unquote journey of Saturn. Could that be actually because the Saturn deity wants you to take a neutral perspective or because it wants you to appear to take a neutral perspective as you go throughout your day while you're still feeding the negative entity? Now, maybe I am wrong. I'm just throwing ideas out there. So, take a look at this. However, if after several months there's no sense of connection to Saturn and no perceptible changes in insight, ability, or state of mind, it may be good for acolytes to assess their practice. It may be that they have approached Saturn without sincerity or with hesitation, in which case their devotion may not be producing sufficiently strong psychic noise to reach the deity. Saturn is said to be distant for a reason, and he is not thought to be as accessible as other more cosmic deities like the solar or lunar gods. Alt alternately, the prospective initiate may simply not be on the same spiritual frequency as Saturn and so this may not be the best current for him again the best frequency wavelength <laughs> um, while we do not say that he should abandon the Saturnine practices altogether he may wish to explore other esoteric and Gnostic schools of practice this is not all an indication this is not at all an indication of failure but rather mere, merely suggestive that the natural energies of the person are not conducive to Saturn's energy or possibly that it is not the right time in that person's life for Saturn to appear you can take that for positive or negative, folks. I think we can analyze those last couple sentences as truly either or. It's not for me to say. If a person has a strong Jupiterian, uh, Jupiter or solar resonance, for example, he may not be suited for Saturnine work. Some teachers have also suggested that during the adolescent and early adult years, it may be harder to practice the Saturnine cult because Saturn's influence tends to favor those who have reached maturity, especially those who are elderly or in the vocational roles discussed in section one. This is interesting. Saturn's influence tends to favor those who have reached maturity, especially those who are elderly or in the vocational roles discussed in section one. You want to know what was discussed in section one? The roles of, biz, uh, of things like being, biz, uh, you know, um, being a leader in business, being a leader within a, a group of camaraderie, whatever it is. What does that remind us of? The elites of, of private industry, the elites of politics. Oh, how convenient. Saturn, I'm not saying good deity nor bad, but how convenient that it likes to really, really connect with you once you've matured and taken a place or position of prominence. Again, take that as you will. So, all of this said, some people will still wish to perform an initial ceremony to mark their first step on the Saturnine path, and that is a normal and healthy desire. If this is the case, the reader can make use of the right below. The ritual. This ritual can also be used in conjunction with the establishment of a Saturnine shrine so that it is used to empower the shrine or idol rather than the acolyte himself. This particular variance of practice is more commonly found in the Eastern Saturnarian cults such as Indian and Islamic and is still very well attested and respected in those regions. The ritual is detailed uh, below on page 141F. Okay, now, before we carry on, alright, we? we're about half an hour in. So, let's take a look at this right over here.
All right, so we see your page seven of 19, and this is the, uh, excuse me, the cosmographic chambers, a source collection of the cosmographic chambers. We see again, what's been referred to quite commonly, uh, commonly, excuse me, as things like sacred geometry. We see things here, for example, which is the, um, I don't know exactly if this is the deca I'm not sure what's what shape this is again to be honest with you folks but we see here this is actually what Mr. Dan Winter has has those little you know really fun toy models of spinners and shapes and things like that this is interesting okay because I want to sort of um leave leave this episode off with a very interesting thought okay so keep this this geometric symbol in mind here all right. Keep this uh, symbol in mind here too right we can think of the freemason symbol I'm not saying that in a bad way whatsoever by the way um not not for me to say right but then we see here right the different the concentric circles relative to that of you know the uh the the human autonomy the anatomy excuse me of the of the human body right and then if we scroll down even more we see the cube right with the triangle in it with a half sphere encompassing the triangle then another half sphere within that triangle all right what's interesting about these shapes okay and we discussed this on the previous group member Zoom call on Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. What's interesting about all of this is that geometry seems to be, and we were on a call, I believe, with, uh, it was Katria, uh, um, Brandy, and, and a couple others. Uh, please forgive me for not remembering off the top of my head, but it seems as though, I think Josh was there too, brother. This geometry, this symbolism represents mathematical equations that will bring us to a unified field theory the thing that we looked at on the on two live streams ago and in the last members only episode about how james maxwell's uh, writings was suppressed and all of that and now there are 22 major issues within physics because heinrich hertz and oliver heaviside and those guys will will gibbards and all them decided to quote-unquote interpret or edit his equations and so it seems like, again, going back to the concept of in the Saturn book, things being hidden in plain sight, it seems like these shapes, these sacred geometric symbols are put all over the planet, whether it's in buildings of politicians, whether it's in things like crop circles, whether it's in things like, again, religious um, uh, scriptures, literature, uh, you know, stones within statues, things like this. This is why I think this is being placed all over the place. And it's because they cannot describe in a scientific or mathematical or engineering perspective the equations for these sacred geometrical objects because they would basically be answering the question to the problem that they created and when you say dave who's they i'm speaking of maybe the draco shapeshifters that concocted all of this that told oliver heaviside uh willard gibbs and and, and heinrich hertz to interpret quote-unquote or edit james maxwell's work i'm not saying they were told by reptilians or ets directly but that chain of command structure may have occurred so it seems like the closest that any anyone can get human or otherwise at least on this planet to showing these structures and symbols is within that of poli uh, political buildings um you know um uh, secret societies, you name it, and it can never be written or translated into a mathematical equation. You might be saying, Dave, what do you mean? Well, folks, basic geometry, by definition, has to be equatable to that of mathematics. It is geometry, like it's one in the same, so to speak, right? But how come there's no math to describe a lot of these quote-unquote sacred geometric symbols within that of a physics connection? Because it would also, again, as I just said, it would give the answer to the problem they created. And that's not what they want. Again, because they're creating the problem and the solution. Now, the final thing 
I wanted to bring up is that, again, this has to do with intuitionistic mathematics. Interestingly enough, notice, it's been in front of our face all the time, plato.stanford.edu. Um, intuition, intuitionism in the philosophy of mathematics, all the way back in 2008. All right. This view on mathematics has far-reaching implications for the daily practice of mathematics, one of its consequences being that the principle of the excluded middle is no longer valid. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to get all confusing and all that. Again, for those that need a friendly reminder, intuitionistic mathematics has to do with the possibility that connects to quantum physics that, say, for example, I say, hey, guys, tomorrow it's going to rain. Okay, it's either going to rain or it's not. I'm either going to be right or wrong. Simple, right? But what if you don't know that? At this point in time because the time hasn't come yet therefore even within the world that we live in the chances of it raining tomorrow is indeterminate there's no direct answer we can get from the universe in any way shape or form that would solidify tomorrow's outcome do you see what i'm saying guys and it seems as though when we go back to the concept of the saturn uh praising of all of this the saturnine magic right which we'll be covering in the next episode of this series seems to have to do with just that and if you incorporate then dan winter's concept of intent as well as sir roger penrose's concept of how he thinks consciousness originates at the quantum level it makes sense because if it originates at the quantum level right according to scientific and medical.net this is sir roger penrose highly respected for spinners and vectors and all of that we see here the headline is why a genius scientist thinks our consciousness originates at the quantum level because it may actually be the case and again that would be the excuse me sorry that would be these shapes right over here that cannot be written out mathematically because it would just by definition answer all of the quote-unquote problems that we've had for the last 70 80 years within general relativity of physics you guys see what i'm saying you see how it all ties in right and then let's see if we go over here Human consciousness is one of the grand mysteries of our time on Earth. How do you know that you are you? And I quote, Does your sense of being aware of yourself come from your mind or is it your body that is creating it? What really happens when you enter an altered state of consciousness? All right. What we'll see here is that one way to think of consciousness is to conceive it as a byproduct of numerous computations that are happening in your brain, but there are some who think our attempts at understanding the nature of consciousness through neuroscience are doomed to fail unless quantum mechanics is involved. World-renowned Oxford University mathematical physicist Sir Roger Penrose, for one, thinks that consciousness has quantum origins. But again, I thought consciousness doesn't have quantum origins because quanti uh, quantum uh, mechanics and quantum physics is too chaotic but it's not. It's just too chaotic relative to the alleged proposals, postulations, and experiments within public academia. There is a way to harness it, as Hal Pudoff recently said too, as Dan Winter said in, our, in yesterday's live stream as well. Right? So take a look here at this. Together with the noted anesthesiologist Stuart Hameroff, excuse me, who teaches at the University of Arizona, by the way, I'm convinced these guys have top secret clearances, um, but again, because why would you, as the government of the US, why would you waste such great talent and not bring them in on things? But anyways, Penrose came up with the orchestrated objective reduction theory of mind. The theory is somewhat outlandish, okay, depending who you ask, but cannot be easily dismissed, considering that Roger Penrose is regarded by many as one of the world's most brilliant people for his contributions in general relativity and cosmology. He's also known for his prize-winning work with Stephen Hawking on black holes. 
All right. Physicist Lee Smolin once remarked that Penrose is, quote, one of the very few people I've met in my life who, without reservation, I call a genius, end quote. So how come he has such grand proposals for the concept of quantum origination relative to the brain? I think because he, he knows things publicly he, he cannot discuss. But look at this. Mr. Penrose, I'll leave his face here for you folks to get a, uh, a look at him, believes that consciousness is not computational. And this would subscribe to that of, again, the battle between soul beings and AI beings, if you will. Our awareness is not simply a mechanistic byproduct, like something you can make a machine do. And to understand consciousness, you need to revolutionize our understanding of the physical world. In particular, Penrose thinks the answer to consciousness may lie in a deeper knowledge of quantum mechanics. Again, to understand consciousness, you need to revolutionize our understanding of the physical world. Our awareness is not simply a mechanistic byproduct like something you can make a machine do. This stuck out very avidly to me, folks, because again, that seems like that's what the Greys and the Dracos are trying to push onto our leaders now, saying that it is the case. You can make humans in a machine because that would further the human AI emergence transhumanistic agenda. Right now, I'm not saying the transhumanistic agenda is bad. What I'm saying is the intention with those at the top harnessing it, human and non-human, are you are using it for? In my opinion, is is not good at all. Which could give that split that the J. Rod, Bill Uhouse, you know, Atomic Energy Commission whole story there um, allegedly claims to have occurred. Now, what we'll see here is that. In an interview with Nautilus's Steve Paulson, Sir Roger Penrose uses an example from quantum computing to explain that qubits of information remain in multiple states until coming together into an instantaneous calculation called quantum coherence, making a large number of things act together in one quantum state. This sentence here reminds me of when Lou Elizondo talked about how, again, going back to the concept of the Saturnine chaos magic, he said, think about lighting a cigarette or a cigar. The cherry is constantly burning and all parts of the cherry are happening at once. Would that not describe unified field theory from James Maxwell? I mean, it would explain how all of the waves and all the frequencies of, of these alleged um, material and non-material beings would be all around us. But take a look at this. Here's what Penrose theory, here's where Penrose theory draws upon the work of Hameroff by saying that his quantum coherence takes place in protein structures called microtubules. These microtubules reside inside the neurons in our brains and can store and process information and memory. Penrose and Hameroff think that microtubules are quantum devices that are orchestrating our conscious awareness. You know who thinks quant uh, microtubules could be used adamantly as well? Hal Pudoff, <laughs> the remote viewer, the guy who ran the CIA's remote viewing program for God knows how long, in addition to God knows how many other classified things that he did. Is this a coincidence that it's all associated? I don't know. I mean, uh, it's possible. It's po I, Again, we see here, for example, Stephen Hawking pushed back, saying before he passed away that Sir Roger Penrose should stick to his field of expertise. Another physicist, and I quote Max Tegmark, even calculated th that the brain cannot possibly think as fast as this idea requires. So again, there's a lot of debate on it, right? But here's what's interesting as well. In 2017, Sir Roger Penrose launched the Penrose Institute to study human consciousness through physics and to differentiate it from any potential artificial intelligence. All right. He believes quantum structures within the brain are, in fact, inhabitant. Now, the thing I wanted to bring up about all of this, okay, is that when he launched the Penrose Institute, the vast majority of members or contributors to that institute are those that praise the black cube or Saturn, if you look into their personal lives. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just wondering what the intent is relative to that of the geometric um, 
obfuscations these are they're forced to make because of their security clearances that they cannot say publicly now final thing we see here right why why sir roger penrose uh, or a genius scientist thinks our consciousness originates at the quantum level this furthers that in my humble perspective of not only intuitionistic mathematics but also if we jump back to the saturnine uh, to the uh, cult of the black cube here this book what we'll find is that it's almost as if when we take a look at the different concepts of what Sir Roger Penrose thinks originate from the quantum level, maybe a little bit higher than that. But what I'm trying to say is that it's almost as if there's consistency with light workers, mediums, psychics, you name it, claiming to be involved in contact with benevolent ETs who say that humans can only comprehend, say, seven or eight dimensions. Then after that, they were simply not designed materialistically or otherwise to inhabit or comprehend anything above that. They, that may be a limiting, um, uh, uh, you know, again, that may not be true at all, but I want to explore that idea relative to the cult of the black cube. Because what's interesting about all of this is that if you take a look at the different steps necessary to be taken with respect to the different, um, you know, setting up a shrine, how to praise it and all of that, it all comes down to the number seven. So is it a coincidence that allegedly humans can only now maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know what the exact people differ. Some say humans can only comprehend up to nine dimensions, only up to six, only up to five. It's hard to say right but interestingly enough the number seven within that of the frequencies emitted within the intent of this of, of any ritual praising saturn of any kind relative to dan winter's work seems to inhabit in addition to the transference of the frequency being the number seven that seems to be again very close to that of the schumann resonance of the earth which also makes me think too right it, it, it's not always that a bad negative intent is at play. Sometimes harmonic positive apparatuses are used in order to balance out the praising of, again, the deity or Saturn or you name it. So with that being said, folks, I hope this wasn't too confusing. Uh, please tell me if you would like me to sort of slow down and break down more of this um, in the sense of, again... Um, uh, sort of going a little bit slower or something like that. If there's anything you think I've missed out, I should include as we move forward in the series. If there's anything you think I should improve on, again, uh, trying to explain things better, talking quicker, talking slower, whatever, let me know. But if you think all is good, then I appreciate that so much and we'll catch you all very, very soon. Cheers, everybody.